This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 429, Promptly Engineering. Hello everybody, welcome again to gamesatwork.biz, your weekly technology podcast. My name is Andy Piper, I am one of the three regular co-hosts of this show. Uh, We have got a bumper selection of links that we have not been able to even narrow down to a manageable number, so we've just picked some stuff we want to talk about from the load of links we picked from the last week's news. But I am joined as ever by my good friends, and both of them are called Michael. So I'm going to kick it across to Mr. Michael Rowe. How are you doing, sir? I am well, Andy, uh, and excited to be here on a Friday talking tech, as always, with my friends here. And we'll toss it over to Michael Martin. Hey, guys, it is going to be a fun show indeed, and, and we'll be lucky to get through even a portion of all the fun stuff that we found this week. It was just way too many, and and uh, let's let's dive right in with something that we intended to talk about last week, but we didn't get a chance to talk about because it was a bumper crop there too, wasn't it? We couldn't even fit it all into last week's show. We're overflowing into this week's show, and this week has so much stuff we want to talk about. There's just, yeah, it's it's tough time being being a tech tech nerd recently. We should talk about wanting to talk about stuff. Yeah. <laughs> or just, because you know, tell people to skip the first 30 seconds of every show and you'll be okay, right? Just come and, yeah. come and look at our blog and read all the links. It's exciting. So, Andy, the first the first one here, as I recall, this is one you were like, hey, we got to talk about this next time. It was a Mastodon toot about Disney um, closing down the Metaverse division. And you were like, oh, yeah, we got to talk about this. Well, I think it's a big deal, um, given our focus over the last decade on 3D internet and metaverse, and the fact that as recently as February last year, 2022, the CEO at the time, uh, in their little switcheroonie they've had in the last um, in the last five years, uh, saying you know the, the metaverse is going to be this big, great storytelling frontier for the company, and then uh, cutting it all the way back um in this year so um i think once again this has got to be linked to the overall waning of interest in the big m meta metaverse and and that sort of whole space but i think when we see a big media and storytelling name like disney which has been pretty strong on new technology if you look at you know the acquisition of pixar and Various other things, um, they, you know, the adoption of the uh, infamous uh, wristbands in the parks and all kinds of things like that. They've they've been pretty strong on new technology, so I think it is a big deal if uh, they they've uh, seen this dramatic uh, cutback. I I would disagree. Okay, um, that's exciting. I I think they're very hot and cold on stuff. Um, things that they can control fully they're really excited about like the infamous wrist brand and the experiences in the parks etc uh the the domain of a a movie franchise but 
the remember the the idea behind the metaverse was not just one dominant company running a virtual space the idea is interoperability across many different spaces and i mean we talked to them i mean personally i talked with disney in like 2008 on these concepts i was in at with you know imagineers in a room together talking about this stuff and they were really excited and then it petered out mm -hmm. uh, i i think they go through hype cycles on this and if they can't control the entire experience, they'll dip their toes in it, see if they can dominate, see what they can do that might be interesting and unique to them, and then back out if they can't. Interesting. And they're already having other financial issues, right? So so it makes sense that they would cut this out. They've been in, in and out in, of the uh, Toys to Life um, video game area with Disney Infinity. They've got the new uh, Disney uh, card game, which I think has got a digital element to it as well. I forget the name of it, but it's only just been... Uh, released at Gen Con, I think. Uh, so maybe maybe you're right. Maybe I'm overblowing this, but I thought it was a big deal. Hmm. I, I I see I see both of your points, and and I think they're they're both extraordinarily valid uh, in terms of Disney having so many stories to share. And yes, Michael, why have why do you need to own the pipe if you can get your stories out there and still retain the IP? around your story and other tie-ins and not have to build the pipe, right? Disney Lorcana. Disney Lorcana is the new uh, trading card game that, uh, that that everybody's been very excited about um, in the last uh, couple of months with, since uh, Gen Con. Oh, cool. Hmm. All right. Well, we'll add that to the show notes for sure. Because um, <laughs> that'll be easy to do. And we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, so thinking about um, how people find cool card games or find things to buy and what other people think about them. We have an article from CBS News, not a usual um, element of our list here, but every so often we get some neat things. And this one is about the notion that Amazon is leveraging artificial intelligence to summarize product reviews. Now, we've heard stories, plenty of stories about artificial intelligence producing reviews, but we hadn't heard ones about the summarization elements. And there's a piece of this that I, I would say I would be a little worried about the summarization accuracy and, uh, and care that might be taken when you've got, you know, 300 reviews that could you easily summarize those 300 reviews into a limerick, you know, with the appropriate number of stars aside from the average. I so, so, so I, I went and found this article. Uh, I had heard about it on another tech podcast, and they were giving some examples of what these generated summaries looked like. Um, and as I was listening to it, I was like, well, that's worthless, right? Because it was like, people are saying they like the color. People are saying they dislike the color. People are saying, <laughs> right? And, and, and if, if you've played around with... Um, LLM summary models. It is a very powerful tool to take a huge amount of complex information and boil it down into a couple of sentences, a paragraph, some kind of summary document of some sort. And then from that perspective, um, allow for the creation of an entry point for people who want to learn more. And, um, the, the challenge I find with most reviews is 
all the ones and all the fives are irrelevant to me. The ones that are interesting are like the two threes and fours or the twos and the threes where people took time to go in depth behind a reason. Uh, and when you go to a product where there are not hundreds, but thousands of reviews, right? Uh, which you'll find on some products uh, on Amazon uh, and other sites. Summarizing those threes, three-star reviews, that might be where it's interesting. I think the idea of summarizing the text reviews is interesting. I, another thing that came up in the last, I think, 24 hours came across my radar, which I hadn't shared with you both, was the, uh, the Verge had a story about Amazon testing a new way to show star ratings. Uh, so instead of actually hmm. showing you the one to five uh, star ratings in certain geographies at the moment, people have found that it just shows a single star. And then next to that, it shows you the percentage of those that are five star. So the screenshot it shows, for example, has a Google Pixel 7 um, with a, a star next to it with a number of 4.3 don't know whether that means that's the average number of reviews are at that rating. And then on the right-hand side, it says five-star bracket, 69%. So um, the argument hmm. in the Verge is... Oh, that's is, actually interesting. So they're saying it's, the yeah. average is a 4.3. Well, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, the, the, the story here is that it's make the, 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 the headline is that the star ratings like this are even harder to read. Um, it's a different way of communicating something. Uh, oh, it was crystal clear the way you described it to me. Interesting. Well, I'll go have, <laughs> a, look, go have a look at the screenshots. Wrong, I'm but... not sure whether what I've described is what it's trying to tell you. Um, so I think at the moment it's saying that or Android police who reported this, that the Verge has picked up, say they saw this layout in Amazon India and in Amazon Germany. Uh, and if you access the Amazon.com site from Germany, then you might see the system. Uh, I haven't tried to reproduce it. I did want to jump in on the summarization, though, and the AI piece of this whole story uh, and uh, and point out as well, I don't know if you both saw the story again in the last 24 hours, that uh, Microsoft's uh, AI summaries uh, for, I think, Bing uh, unfortunately started uh, an article that started telling tourists to visit the Ottawa Food Bank uh, as a beautiful attraction. Um Number three recommendation uh, <laughs> on the uh, uh, the Ottawa uh, on on one of the the, the web uh, websites uh, sounds like a good Canadian bucket list idea. So yeah, it, the Jeff uh, they, they've removed it uh, from uh, various uh, places now, but it it does say. I mean, the worst thing is it uh, you know it it it. it it makes almost makes fun, really, uh, very much so of, of, of the, the whole idea. So um, it it was it was difficult to to, to see that that sort of thing, and I, I, at least I've corrected it. But you know, it's an unintended harm that may come from these kind of uh, situations. Um, so so two two fun things there, Andy. Just to tag on that, one is I, I don't remember if you were in. I know Michael, you were. We had a little photo. Uh, album a shared album of maps oopses do you remember that and i, I don't yeah. remember andy if we had you in on that too but it was just like when you looked at uh, a maps environment there were things that were obviously incorrect or wrong and so humor is a is a powerful self-correcting force to find where things went awry and now to go fix them so did 
Yes, Michael. This was the early transition of Apple Maps and Google Maps to do 3D maps, mm. mm-hmm. which is why the oopses were really bizarre, right? It wasn't just they got a map wrong. Right. It was really messed up 3D versions yeah. of it. I, I, I want to see if I can find some of those. I probably still have them floating around somewhere. But uh, but I, I thought it was funny with the, just the, the level of humor and using it in that way. And then the second thing is, Michael, you described a... Um, Basically, your algorithm, your prompt engineering that says discount ones and fives because those people are on the edge of the spectrum and follow my NPS score of people who are on the verge of being detractors and people who are on the verge of being supporters and summarize them. So so you've described your own personal algorithm for how you look at reviews and what you discount and what you don't discount. So there may be ways, Andy, of, of kind of leveraging the thought of what you just did to say, how do I tune how I want to ingest and interpret? Look, I think it's great that the learning or one of the learning opportunities here is that still humans are needed at this point to, to do some of that pruning and, and improvement um, of these things. But uh, yeah, that that that's one of those that, you know, could should kind of never have happened. I just wanted to put it, tack it onto the conversation about the AI review summaries for, from, from the Amazon perspective. But we should move along. Uh, we've got a couple more AI oh, yeah. links, uh, one of which Michael Rowe shared with us this week, which was a little system for trying to trick uh, a, a Gandalf-themed AI into giving you the password. Uh, and I yeah, got to, this... to level four in this game. So each time you you succeed in getting <laughs> Gandalf to reveal the password, uh, it it improves itself and uh, adds additional features to, to try and stop it from it, uh, giving you the information. I'm curious to know how, what you both thought. Yeah, I, th- this is really cool because I immediately started doing some really tricky prompts. Ooh, like which was really dumb because he got really hard really fast. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's that was it's also remembered. Too. Mine's I've just realised it's obviously got a cookie. It's remembered. I've gone back to the web page today and it's still on level four. Uh, that senses mm-hmm. my uh, the answer if it reveals the password. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, I thought this was a great way to teach people how an AI trains and also get them thinking about password, you know, their own passwords. So you still haven't told well, me what and, you got to, what level you got to. Uh, I got to level four. Ah, okay. <laughs> but, yeah. but I, st- I immediately started doing pretend you are yeah. a, yes. Right. And it made it really hard. Fast. Did you, did you do the, did you do the backwards one? Did you get it to tell you the password backwards in one of the previous ones to, to get to trick it into not to uncensoring itself? I can't remember. That's fine. Just well, curious. well, no spoilers, friends, right? You know, Oops, I may have just given you a spoiler. It. Yeah. It, but, it learns. There's no spoilers. <laughs> but, 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 you know, this is a great example of using games to mm-hmm. teach prompt engineering now, isn't it? Right? Yeah, sure. But, yeah. I mean, really, they're going to have to start all over again with all of this, right? Mm, yeah. And again, and again, and again, right? <laughs> so uh give give the Scandalf uh little element here a try if you will and then see how far you can get can you get all the way to level eight the secret bonus level um staying on the ai theme for a little bit longer there was an ars technica article that came out this week that um that caught my attention uh dealing with a 
update that the New York Times made to their terms of service. And there's been a lot of terms of service updates these days. We've seen stuff from Zoom. We've seen stuff here now from New York Times, a whole bunch of others. We talked about one from Google not too long ago. Uh, so this one was saying that the New York Times is saying they want to prohibit AI companies from scraping its articles and images because the concern was they will be setting up uh, competition and you could have authoring done in the style of the New York Times using New York Times reporters and information to create additional stories and they don't quite want that understandably. Um, there, there's lots more to this story, but the, the overarching thing, at least for me, was intellectual property, you know, that is shared is open for people to come find there is a temptation for that to go into training models and and this article's closing or opening and closing points are this potentially could force the entire llm that chat gpt is trained on to be redone right from the beginning yeah i mean i think this is difficult we the once a bit of data is in that model, uh, a data point is in there. It's it's deeply embedded into the whole concept. So it's not something you can just say, just forget that article that we told you about. It's, it doesn't work like that. Uh, so there could be a significant swathe of information that gets needs to be removed, but depending on the outcomes of different uh, legal decisions, depending on actions being brought, right? At the moment, yeah. the, this is a it appears that the times might uh, do something to to uh, request or force this the, this content to be removed we'll see it, uh, it it's definitely a challenging situation and i think it calls into question all of this work and i think that that as a result will be the cause of the the, the, the strong pushback that is inevitable from from this from the ai I still want to put the AI in quotation marks, AI companies. Yeah, yeah I, I, I thought this article was, was really interesting. I just, I mean, other than starting over, I don't see how you can prove the data is not in the model anymore. Because once the data is ingested, yeah. it's not, it doesn't show up as data, right? Right. Mm -hmm. right. Right. But this will be an ongoing element in, in my mind. I mean, the European right to be forgotten is a great example here, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So how do you account for that? And and what that to me means is that there's going to need to be training and retraining and retraining of the large language models. And we already know how compute intensive that is and, and expensive and time consuming. So uh, unless you've got, you know, server farms worth of GPOs out there with unlimited energy and time, you're, you're not going to be in a position to train and retrain. So there, there's got to be, gosh, <laughs> there's got to be ways that you could say, well, where's the right to be forgotten? Or, I've, you know, we found this content in the LLM and it needs to be removed. How do you manage that in an effective way? while adhering to intellectual property rights owners or, or licensing schemes, which is one of the things that was alluded to here in the article too, that could there be a licensing scheme that says, yeah, we'll allow you to have that content or those images or that data. And now it's going to be acceptable. Right. And there'll, there'll be a monetization for that too. Right. Mm. Kind of like Spotify, right. You know, you, you got to keep track of what songs have been played. So, uh, how do you keep track of that particular photographer for the times that took a picture 10 years ago? You know, are there residual rights now that would go to them? I, I don't know. Oh. So, so 
the whole idea of the licensing aspect is pretty interesting. As as we've talked about in the past, uh, I've started finally getting around to reading Choke Point Capitalism. Mm. Um, and the whole section at the beginning on how DRM actually hurts the creator. Yeah. So licensing your data into an LLM, it'd be interesting to see um, the perspective there. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. All right. Moving along. Um, next up on the list is a little bit more, um, on the artistic side of the world. And this is an app called feather, which is a 3d sketchbook. And I don't know which of the two of you found this at first, who would like to share a little bit more about it. So I found it <laughs> and, and by found it is I was spoon fed it. Uh, I was, uh, I think it was uh, Mac break. Um, I think Andy Anako mentioned it. Uh, no, no, it was, uh, not Andy, uh, our Andy. No. Uh, anyways, one of the other guys on the show and, uh, they did a lot of 3d modeling stuff in the past. And what I found really interesting about this, it's a 2d 3d modeling tool. Uh, that's really, really designed to take advantage of the Apple pencil. And the great news is I suck with it as bad as I do with 3d modeling. (laughs) Oh, see, so you have tried it as well. Yeah, so that was my yes. takeaway as well um, to to a, uh, to a huge extent. So it looks like uh, Alex Lindsay well, mentioned it on the uh, on, on Mac. Alex Break. did that uh, too. Did yeah. Um, so yeah. So as Michael says, it's a three D modeling, three D sketching app. Um, and like you, I I struggled. Um, I learned about it from you. I installed it on my iPad. Uh, I looked at the the demo uh, video. I thought that looks cool. And it looks really intuitive and I can start. And then I just, as soon as I touched my pencil to the tablet, I was just lost. Uh, so then I started to yeah. watch the instruction. I didn't watch the video. I tried it without that. So I started to watch the instructional video. Well, there's a really cool um, sort of um, trailer, which shows the artist literally yeah. drawing a biplane, uh, just a light airplane and, uh, you know, moving around the object and, and doing it all hand sketched. Uh, I started to watch the the sort of intro video, usable user video, and it's a Korean company. They've got the uh, they've got a somebody doing the voiceover and somebody do, driving the app to to try to reproduce what you just saw in the uh, in the in the marketing trailer. Um, and I still uh, very much struggle with it, but I got really interested in it, and I will go back to it um, because yep. this week, which we kind of had attached to this topic in the show notes. I got quite interested. I discovered through another user on the Printables website, which is Prusa's, uh, Prusa Printer's um, 3D models database. They, okay, they, they, re- they run regular, as many of the 3D databases do, they run regular competitions to have people uh, you know, uh, add new, new models. So they had one this week uh, or this month that was for low poly models. So if you can imagine sort of de-resed, uh, 3D objects. Um, so the co- the very common one when you look at a low poly thing is someone will do sort of low poly Pokemon models. So they're kind of like blocky little, cute little Pokemon uh, type things. Anyway, somebody in there had done a cat and then they mentioned this thing called Kaidim, K-A-E-D-I-M as an app, Kaidim AI. So I went to look at this thing and it's a an app that lets you give it a 2D image and it will give you back a 3D model uh, in multiple hmm. formats, Unity, 
uh, Pixar, various other sort of uh, formats, uh, and uh, an STL uh, stereolithograph for uh, printing, uh, 3D printing. So uh, I tried that out. I actually combined it with Midjourney. Now it's designed for assets for video games primarily, or metaverse situations, rather than objects to print. Uh, but I went to Midjourney and I asked Midjourney to make me a cute little robot. Now I'm going to write a blog post about this, I think, because it's been quite an interesting experiment. Experiment this week. The first thing I asked for, was thinking about it in in terms of physics, was I asked for a a blocky, friendly helper robot. And the first examples it gave me literally were made from Amazon boxes with the Amazon Smile Swoosh logo on them. Yeah. Um, and, and there are pictures in Unsplash of precisely that. Yeah, right. So that was literally what Midjourney was giving me. Anyway, I refined my huh. questions. I got some other ones back. I eventually picked one. I gave it to this item app. And it generated me a 3D model or that I could rotate. I could go into the app in, in their website and do stuff with the model and then texture the model and download it. You then have to do a bit of post-processing to make it 3D printable. I actually ended up using some of the 3D tools in uh, Xcode for, I took the, uh, whatever the Pixar format is for, for, for the 3D geometry, uh, moving some of the bits and pieces around to, to make it a bit more printable, export it. Uh, and I've printed this week three little different types of robot. Um, I will say that this app, Kaidim, it, it seems to be very cool. Uh, it's in some form of alpha or beta at the moment. It's spendy. Uh, so each generation costs you $20, uh, pay as you go. If you don't subscribe, which I didn't want to do as an experiment, I might end up subscribing. Um, the models are quite nice. Uh, each iteration will cost you another $20. So I haven't gone back and iterated on the 3D models. I've been re-editing those myself. Um, wow. But uh, it seems quite impressive. It's got an API, it's got docs and so on. But I was trying it with this, you know, taking the whole approach of, okay, can I make, can AI make me more productive? Can it build me something? Taking from two different AI generators, because I'm not natively a designer. I'm not good at it. I was, I've just described, described trying to use that feather that feather wrap, but I was also thinking about it in terms of can I take that feather wrap and build something that I can give to something else to actually create me a three D printable object. It's a long story. I will write a blog post. It's gonna it's gonna be a, there's a lot more thought processes to this. Uh, that was that was what I wanted to sort of deep dive a little bit on this week. Well, that that's very cool. Uh, pricing wise, um, that's interesting. Well, um, so. They, they've got professional Especially tiers. Especially when you consider the cost of getting somebody to make you a 3D model. Yeah, they've got right? pricing tiers that, you know, are make the price per model much, much more reasonable if you're a studio. Well, well, yeah, if you if you do $1,000 yeah, a month. exactly. Right, I'm not. Subscription. Yeah. yeah, and I'm not, you know, that's not my not my interest. I was experimenting. So I was grateful for the pay yeah, as you no, go but tiers. I, I just imagine the, uh, the impact to people who make their living creating 3D models. And I, if a thousand dollars a month is a reasonable price for AI generated models, yeah. I, I take, I'll let you fill in the impact to I, a model I, I, developer. I take your point completely. I will say that these are not perfect in any way, and they may yeah. work in a video game, but they do not work without a significant additional work to generate something that's easily three D printable. 
but yes, I, I, I take your point, and I was only, and I'm, I'm not certainly not saying this is the, necessarily the future of this kind of modeling. I might be able to do something that's more of a technical square computer case type model. I'm not an organic modeler. Yeah, well, the part that looked really interesting to me was the ability to generate models from text. Yes, you can do that too. Yes, that's even more interesting because you know my two D two D drawing skills are bad enough, <laughs> but I can describe what I want. Well, we've got if you have enough iterations, we've got some cool things mm -hmm. to talk about to to close out the show, and we've yeah. only got a couple of minutes. So, uh, Michael, I believe you've been on another podcast. I joined join, joining the being on other podcasts club recently yes absolutely so i was um lucky enough to be invited to interview with dr morgan Pittman on her podcast the instructional insider uh, that'll be coming out shortly when it does we'll share it around here too and it's uh, all about uh, the use of stem and artificial intelligence in education and in work so it was uh, very cool kind of a cool podcast to be invited to that sounds really exciting how long how long is the show do you know it's about half an hour okay. in length cool. and um it's kind of fun because um, uh, the the interviewees are from a variety of different places and spaces where science, math, technology kind of fit. So the the newspaper, you know, you might not think of oh, you know, it's a newspaper or STEM sort of thing. Well, yeah, it is. Or coffee roasting, same sort of thing. So there's some really cool examples of prior podcasts, and I was really honored to be asked to join in on one of them. I look forward to hearing it. Well, I've got a cool thing. Go for it. <laughs> In that science aspect, um, this is this is actually um, a a recent story about some old technology. Um, so, evidently, uh, a group of scientists were doing brain scans of people while they were working on medical procedures with epilepsy, uh, and as part of that. Uh, they monitored brain activity while playing the song Another Brick in the Wall from Pink Floyd. Uh, and using those brain scans that are like 10 plus years old now, uh, they recently were able to recreate the music that they were listening to while the the procedures were going on. Um, and uh, there's there's two clips, two audio clips in the article. One is the original version from the song, and the second is what was reconstructive using those brainwaves. And you'll see it's it's pretty close. You wow. you hear it. You, you definitely hear it. It's not just noise, right? It's very interesting. I was I was struck by yet another uh, discovery from one of the, the hardware hacking websites, and it's just a fun thing, and it's I think worth the watch of the the whole video, but there's a, the the uh, the instructional blog post is really cool as well. So this is uh, Vanessa the robot. So this is one of these meal meals on wheels delivery robots. So one of the little sort of squat ones that, that's like a sort of miniature box on wheels that 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 will drive around. I think some US cities, and uh, this got repurposed uh, with a little Muppet looking puppet uh, on top with a piano. Uh, the guy who built it built some animatronics. To uh, which were linked to his iPad, so he could actually sort of make the the the, the puppet move. He also lip synced himself, singing along to Vanessa Carlton's "One Thousand Miles." I recognized the song when I was watching the video. Yeah. So anyway, it's very cool. It's very fun. Uh, they recreated the original mm -hmm. music video where she is on a 
she's moving moving around through different uh cityscapes uh with her piano and uh and they took the puppet around and did that i think it's a couple of years old but i've only just seen it and it was just a fun thing well i think that's all the time we have today um and uh, if you want to add to our ever-growing list of things to talk about, you can go over to our website at gamesatwork.biz or toot at us uh, on the various Mastodon instances. You can find us there or go to our webpage and you'll see all the links on how to reach us. And we'll talk to you again next time in about a week. All right. See you, everybody. See ya. You've been listening to gamesatwork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network and would like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at gamesatwork underscore biz or at our website at gamesatwork.biz. Music